Well, children, this is your opportunity to go with your leaders and hear from the Bible in the Kids Club. And the Kids Club is for all the children aged uh, from four up to 11. And we also have a playroom for any little ones who are younger than three who'd like to, to play. Mums and dads are welcome. Well, why don't we turn to Ezra and chapter five. This past week, I spent a few days in the Scottish capital, Edinburgh, at a conference for pastors. And we met in a church building that was really very impressive. And among its striking features, it had this remarkable tower that can be seen for miles around the city center. But about 10 years ago, in 2013, that church and the church that owned it, they had met there since it was built in the 1800s, well, they were forced to put that building up for sale, and they did, because the numbers that had been going to that church and meeting in that building had dwindled such that they couldn't really keep going in that place. A mere fraction of the crowd now met there, and so the doors closed. Worship stopped. And I read quite poignantly about the closure of that building, that the final hymn played on the organ in that old building from the 1800s was the magnificent pipe organ, famous Lord for the Years. Do you know the song? Lord for the Years, your love has kept and guided. And then the doors closed and the worship stopped. But today, 10 years on, 2023, right as we meet right now, perhaps about 600 people will be crammed into that building once again on the ground floor, up in the galleries for a Sunday worship service. And you'll probably, if you were walking past it, even hear singing from the footpath. You see, a different church bought that building, and worship has restarted, and life is refilling that once empty shell. Here's the question. What sparked such an extraordinary transformation? Well, it's the same thing that prompted the rebuilding work on the temple to restart in Ezra 5. It's the same thing that's grounded the planting of a church here in Black Rock, the same thing that centers the consolidation of this church and remains the focus of Black Rock. What is that? It's the proclamation of the Word of God that gets the building work restarted. The proclamation of the Word of God that gets the building work restarted and that sustains it and keeps it going. Just read the the start of Ezra 5 where Mandy read for us. First couple of verses, Ezra 5. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that at the very end of chapter 4, turn back to the end of page 391, just one verse earlier, we read that the rebuilding had stopped and it ceased 
until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. But now the writer suddenly brings us from over a decade of paralysis to the start of building, rebuilding, a restart. And we're meant to see this and reflect on the fact that this is the proclaimed Word of God inspiring the rebuilding to restart. It's quite a remarkable turn in the book of Ezra. The proclaimed Word of God inspires the rebuilding restart. And you can see that there's two preachers, Haggai and Zechariah, and they're described as prophesying to the Jews. In other words, proclaiming as prophets are commissioned by God to do, to say God's words to the people. And the writer really spells it out for us, doesn't he, at the end of verse 1. They're preaching in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, that is, over these Jews. Now, if you recognize the name of, of these prophets, that's because we have their words. And you can look back in the Old Testament to those books that have their name, Haggai and Zechariah. Um, they have books, obviously, of the Old Testament named after them. And it's as men like this proclaim God's word among the people that the work of rebuilding restarts. It's strike, isn't it? That's the emphasis here. As God's word is proclaimed and the people start to see how important it is. Remember what they were doing. They were rebuilding the temple, the center of God with his people. And then the, the work restarts. And suddenly that extended period of discouragement and down tools, well, it's over. God's intention, remember, this is the whole of the scriptures, to dwell with his people, to temple, to tabernacle among them, is powerfully impressed on these people who have down tools by his proclaimed word, by his servants, the prophets. And if, if you like, they're reminded of a priority that they must have forgotten or been distracted and discouraged from, as we saw in chapter 4. And so now they're stirred up again to get back to the rebuilding work. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. It's a brilliant picture, isn't it? This work restarting. You can almost hear the noise again as the tools get to work, the large stones put into place. And it's, it's this priority has been straightened out and they're back to work. And look what else. Um, there, that lovely little phrase at the end of verse 2. The prophets of God were what? They were supporting them. These preachers were supporting them. Well, what does that mean? Like, were they on the building site? I think we're Haggai and Zechariah mixing up the cement, handing over the hammers. Well, maybe. But it's more likely this is an encouragement role of, of, of supporting them, comforting, correcting them, challenging them by proclaiming God's word in their midst to keep them focused and determined on what God had them to do. It's a really brilliant picture. God always uses his proclaimed word to do his rebuilding work. Derek Kidner writes that every spiritual advance, think through your Bible, every spiritual advance from Abraham to the expansion of the church in Acts begins with a word from the Lord, the proclaimed word, restarting the rebuilding. 
And it's God word, God's word that draws our attention inescapably, you see, to the word. Remember how John described the Lord Jesus Christ? The word became flesh. And so it's as the word draws our attention, and the Bible inescapably does that all the time. It points us forward or points us back or helps us gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came. God's word proclaimed brings people to hear about what God is like and how he has moved in history to save and restore his people, to rescue us from, from sin and slavery and death. That's what God's word does. It points us to his son, the Lord Jesus, the word. Now, if you're a Christian, think about it. It was God's word, open and proclaimed, that started a mighty rebuilding work in your life too. It pointed you to the redemptive work. It pointed you to God's provision of access to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that work is still ongoing in your life. And it's this word that takes us to the cross. And it's this word that it'll sustain you as you trust in the Lord Jesus for every year and decade of your life as you focus on him and his death and his cross for your redemption. The word of God proclaimed starts the rebuilding work. John, I'll never forget arriving in Dublin a quarter of a century ago as a student. Imagine rolling into Dublin. It took longer in those days to get down the roads from Tyrone. But I remember for the first time hearing the consistent proclamation of God's word week in, week out. I'd never heard that before. And it prompted in me a, a growing realization of my spiritual need as a person, my needed provision of God's grace. You see, it's, it's this proclamation of God's word that must stay central to our church's life, that we all have a part to play in that, don't we? Keeping the word central to everything we do as a church plant or as a church planted or as a church growing. Here's a couple of things we need to think about. You know, as we commit ourselves we should do that because this is how God does his work. So we should commit ourselves to sit consistently under that proclamation of God's word here in Black Rock. We should commit ourselves to supporting the ministry of the word as it has brought us to life. And many of you are in, in partnership with us in that, financially, in prayer, in presence, in serving. You see, this is the rebuilding work that God did in your life and we should keep supporting that ministry of the word and not take it for granted. It's in the, the work of churches, you see, to raise the next generation of word ministers too, because I'll not be around. Will I do another quarter century? I hope so. The Lord knows. But who's coming next? Who are the next ministers of God's word here in Black Rock for the suburbs and the, the towns and villages across Ireland and the world that don't have access to God's word? Well, that's our work too as a local church, raising up people and ministers of the gospel who will proclaim God's word and see the rebuilding keep going. And you know, perhaps you're hearing and answering a call like that on your own life right now as you sit here or as you listen in the live stream. God's call on your life to be one who trains and serves as a proclaimer of God's word. Well, let's pray. We can all do that, can't we? For God to use us as a church to set apart individuals, but also to put all our means towards supporting mission and church planting and training for that work 
of replanting. You know there are places across Dublin where the work has stopped, places across Ireland and the world where churches have fallen silent, or there are places where the word has never even reached yet. You know, just yesterday, um, there was a, a new pastor, a new proclaimer of God's word inducted in the city of Waterford in a church that's been there almost since the the 1600s, I think. And there's a new proclaimer. God raised up someone who would teach his word to that people to rebuild a witness for him in that city. And we need more work like that. And we're all part of it through Baptist missions and through Black Rock. And then just think about it. You're going into work or college or school Simply sharing God's word in your conversations, you're putting the powerful work of God, the word of God, into their lives, people who have never heard the gospel. You're prompting, if you like, God's word of rebuilding and restoration. So keep doing it. Keep sharing that gospel. So here we've seen that the proclaimed word of God inspires the rebuilding restart. And we only were two verses in. Now, we're going to go much faster. Don't worry. We've got a lot of territory to cover. But I was a history teacher, and I'm going to take us through it like it's the end of term, because it is. You know when your teachers stand up and say, you know, there's one class before the the exam, and we're going to have to get through half the syllabus. Well, that's what we're going to do right now. But it's not going to be a run-through just for the sake of it, but watch something. Watch something really exciting here. Secondly, watch the providential rule of God providing all the resources for his rebuilding work. The providential rule of God, his hand, his eye, providing the resources needed for this work. And that's from verse 3 here of chapter 5 all the way to chapter 6, verse 12. You see, what follows here in chapter 5 and into chapter 6, it's a series of letters. Now, we saw letters in chapter 4, didn't we? And they were fairly bleak letters. They were letters, a study in opposition to God's work, um, opposition at various points over the centuries that caused the work to stop. But now this exchange of letters in 5 and 6, well, they're different, aren't they? They're bright. You see, the writer wants us to contrast these exchanges. And so as we've seen, the work restarts inspired by the proclamation of God's word through those servants, Haggai and Zechariah. And then in verse 3, look, we meet Tatanai. He's the governor of the province beyond the river. So here's a governor and another official, um, Shethar Bozanai, and they undertake an official inspection. Now, we never like to see the revenue man at the door or the one, the inspector coming to check we're doing things right, but that's what's going on here. There's an official inspection, and they put two questions to the people who have started rebuilding the temple. Here, have a look at them, end of verse 3. They asked them two questions. Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish the structure? Question one. And what are the names of the men who are building this building? Now you're thinking, could the work stop again now that there's this official um, investigation, if you like, underway? Well, there's a very striking comment in, in the next verse. Look in verse five that underlines all we've been seeing in Ezra so far. Have a look. Verse five but the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, the eye of God. And they did not stop them until the report could reach Darius, the imperial king, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. 
the eye of their God. It's an amazing little phrase. In other words, the providential rule of God is at work here, and the writer wants us to get that. Official processes, yep, they're underway, but it's the Lord who's really in charge, the eye of their God. And so the officials make a report to the Persian king, and that's really verses 6 up to 17. The rest of chapter 5, really, is their letter to the king. They ask Darius, who's the imperial king. Remember, they're just the governor of this region beyond the river, which included Israel and Judah. Well, they write to the king and ask Darius, who's the king of Babylon, um, in Babylon, king of Persia. They're asking about this rebuilding work that's going on. Now, the tone here is, um, it, it's kind of, it's, it's not too bad, is it? It's not like the tone we saw in chapter 4. It was quite negative. There's an informative tone here, and Tatanai seems to present things um, fairly well to the king, unlike those letters in chapter 4 that were so loaded with attempts to discredit the work. No, not here. Look at the middle, for example, of verse 8. Um, Tatanai talks about what's going on with the rebuilding. He said it's been built with huge stones, and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. So he's given a fair account here. And then what he does is interesting. He includes a letter. So this is a letter within a letter from the Jews themselves explaining why they're rebuilding. That's verses 11 through to 16. And what do they do? Well, they simply lay out their case. This is why the temple must be rebuilt. This is why we were exiled. Um, then Cyrus the king proclaimed an edict which brought us back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, in verse 17, Tatanai asks for a search in the Babylon archives. In other words, is this really true? Check the official documents that you have. And so he asks for a search, and then he asks for a decision or a verdict, if you like, from King Darius about whether the rebuilding should continue. Then finally, we have this last part that Mandy read for us, chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Here's King Darius now, receiving that letter and writing back. And we learn something extraordinary. We learn that King Darius acts on that letter from Tatanai, and he asks for an archive search, just as the governor had asked for. And then the document turns up. Somebody puts their hand on it in the official archives. We found it, sir. They find the document. And it turns up not in Babylon, where the search, where they asked the search to take place, but in this place called Ekbatana. Now, it's interesting, Ekbatana, that's a place where scholars have shown that King Cyrus, remember chapter one, he would have spent the summer there in his first year in power. And perhaps it was from here where he issued that edict, telling the people of God, the Jews, that they could go back in the first place and rebuild. And there, in Ekbatana, they find a scroll containing a significant record, a memorandum. This is really interesting because now you have the king, the secular authorities, finding that what the Jews have said is true. Now, we don't have the same, exact same edict as we found in chapter 1, but we have something similar. And it seems to be a record that focuses on the treasury side of things, how things will be paid for and, and accounted for. And now this, um, how the edict, if you like, from Cyrus would be implemented. And you know what you see here from chapter 6? 
when this report, this record is read, verse three on, it's marvelously consistent with what the people of God in Jerusalem have reported all along. The stories match up. And now Darius, what does he do? Look what he decrees. Look at chapter six, verse seven. He says, leave the work on this house of God alone. Let them keep rebuilding. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Let them rebuild, he says. Now remember, this is a secular king, Darius, a powerful king of Persia. And he says, let them rebuild. This is what was said back in Cyrus's day. Don't stop them. Don't interrupt them. And actually, the end of verse 6, keep away. Interesting. Keep away from them. Let them do their rebuilding. The eye of the Lord, indeed. Whose hand has been on all of this? Whose eye? Who's in control providentially? Well, it's God, isn't it? The Lord. The providential rule. King after king. The rebuilding continues. And it's not just that he says, let them rebuild. He goes, he goes further. Look at even the first word in the next verse, verse 7. Moreover, or verse 8. Moreover, I make a decree, verse 8, regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province beyond the river. So they get the cost paid. The governor of this province will have to cough up for it. And then look at verse 9, and whatever is needed, everything they need for the sacrifices, bulls, rams, or sheep, or burnt offerings, whatever they need, verse 9, let that be given to them day by day without fail. You see, the rebuilding work will be resourced from the royal revenues. The king will provide for it from what's collected in that province beyond the river where Tatanai is governor. Costs, everything, whatever is needed. And then it goes on even more, verse 11, protection in the work. So not only will, will Persia pay for everything, they will give them protection. Verse 11, protection in the work. The providential rule of God providing the resources for the rebuilding work. It's really striking. And whatever the motives of this king are, whatever the opposition, remember chapter 4, whatever the circumstances, God is building his kingdom and his work will prevail. God sovereignly, by his word we saw, remember, restarted the rebuilding work and then powerfully and extraordinarily, perhaps, provides all the resources it needs to continue and sustain and be prospered. Everything. Abundant provision from the Lord, even from sometimes surprising places and surprising ways like that protection. The eye of the Lord on his people, as the word proclaimed. It's quite an extraordinary juncture to get to in Ezra, because the opposition is there, and yet God, in his sovereign plan, allows this work to continue. I was reminded by one of the speakers at our conference this week that that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God isn't shrinking or ebbing away. Sometimes we forget that in the times we live in, don't we? We think that the things of God are on the way out 
and the secular agendas on the way in. But no, the Bible tells us otherwise. It's not like that with God. His kingdom, we know from His Word, His kingdom is growing. And one day, when these days are over, He will reign unchallenged forever through His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is all building to God's kingdom being supreme over all. And sometimes, where churches are closing down and things seem to be receding, perhaps that only underscores that it's the Word of God proclaimed that inspires the rebuilding work. I read a report from a country not too far from here that says hundreds of its churches will close in the next couple of decades. But the writers of that report didn't seem to look to the, to the root of that problem. You see, churches are closing when the Word of God is closed and when it is no longer proclaimed and when its leaders walk away from it. But the Word of God prospers and continues and grows and rebuilds where that word is opened and proclaimed. And then it's God's providential hand, his rule, that'll provide the resources. Remember that church building in Edinburgh that I sat in this week? The organ played one last time in 2013. Well, there was a second verse in that song I just looked at as I was thinking about, imagine they played that song the last time. If only they'd really heard the second verse, I'll read it to you of that song. Do you remember, Lord, for the years your hand has guided? Well, this is the second verse. It says, Lord, for that word, the word of life which fires us, speaks to our hearts and sets our souls ablaze, teaches and trains, rebukes and inspires us. Lord of the word, receive your people's praise. I wonder if they'd listened to that verse as it was rung out and they locked the doors in 2013. Would they have seen that? No, it's the word of God proclaimed that brings life and rebuilding. And then the providential hand of God that resources it. Others did. Others did who now occupy that building. And they continue to live under and proclaim that word and fill that space with more people that even fit in. Think about us as we finish. Maybe you need to resolve and allow your heart to be constantly reformed by God's powerful word, opened once again by God's servants. And then as that word's proclaimed, keep looking to his providential provision that keeps us looking to his ultimate gift of salvation at the cross.